1: Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are uh, back at it with another rant-a-thon. And uh, this year, it's going to just be a hodgepodge of topics that we're going to dig into. Uh, we're going to do it from a primarily Lutheran perspective, which is the only right and true perspective, if you've listened to this show long enough. Uh, we will be taking on all sorts of different things And uh, I've got a couple guests on the mic with me tonight to uh, rant with me. And so there's really uh, no construct to the show. It's just kind of everything goes and we'll see where they go. So uh, I will introduce Connor first. I've had him on the show once before a while back. I've been on his show. So if you want to say hi, Connor, go for it. Hello,
3: everybody. Merry Christmas. Is this going up before after, around Christmas?
2: Uh, It'll go up on New Year's Day.
3: Merry New Year's Day to everybody. Welcome to the new year. Uh, I'm Connor, Pastor Connor, uh, pastor in Canada, uh, Canadian Association of Lutheran Congregations. I'm here to uh, smash Satan and uh, all of his lies. Uh, Glad to be here with the boys.
2: Yes, amen. And uh, in our lower right corner, we have Jacob, who is a, are, are you in Bible school or seminary?
4: I'm in Bible school and I will be going to seminary.
2: Right on. That's what I thought. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Give a little bit of uh, some feedback because nobody knows who you are. I guess. Okay. Maybe.
4: Um. Hey guys, I'm Jacob. I'm from Southern California, but I go to school in Minnesota. I go to Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, and I've just been talking back and forth with Alex for what, like a year now, ish.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe give or take.
4: Uh, a couple months and yeah we've just been talking back and forth and he invited me to be on this podcast and i'm really happy to be here
2: yeah so we're great to have you and uh you know like i said this is probably the most unprofessional show you'll ever be on and i have no desire to make it anything more than just me ranting for 30 minutes every friday on whatever passage of bible i'm working through and uh you know, now we got this year-in tradition we've done for the last quite a few years, where we just tear into something and 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 run to the races. And so, I, I know we've kind of chatted the three of us about some different things that we want to talk about, but uh, I'm gonna throw the I'm gonna throw the ball out at Connor and see if he's got a topic that's just itching at him that he needs to rant about.
3: Man, you know I always do, and it's always the same one. And it's um it's these non Lutheran Protestants out here. Um so <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. let me paint the picture for you, okay? So I take this call. This is I'm at my first call, right?
4: Uh huh.
3: Um St. Matthew's Lutheran Church, Cornwall, Ontario. Uh, come and visit us if you're out in the uh, East Ontario. Not that anyone ever is, but if you ever are, <laughs> but you won't be, come visit us. But I come here last year, right September time, and this is a this is a congregation that has very strong confessional identities, but not like very few of them have a Lutheran identity. So mm-hmm. I come and people are like, Yeah, I'm a Baptist and I'm a Catholic and I'm united, and I'm like straight up. That's not what what like what do you think is going on here? So anyways, so I come here and uh, you know the, it's been a year and a bit of really strong catechesis right Mm -hmm. and um the most frustrating thing is this i have those people for what two three hours a week for bible study and for divine service in advent and lent Uh, i get them for more because we have you know the people coming more often to the uh, evening Mm -hmm. vespers we have vespers every single week by the way And that's another thing that bothers me this church is not meeting enough uh, for divine service but anyway so that's a, beside the point but when they leave my congregation like when they leave divine service they go into their cars and they turn the radio on and it's the baptist radio and they go home and they listen to the baptist radio and then they go online and they see this baptist stuff and they go everywhere this is always constantly the baptist people speaking their baptist message and um no, you know, I don't hate Baptists, or maybe I do, I'm not really sure. But the thing, like, I spend so, so much time trying to drill into people's heads just the simple um, truths in the small catechism. Baptism, yeah. what's it for? For the forgiveness of sins. And then it's, it's almost like between Sunday and Tuesday, they've already forgotten that. Like, I'll go over to someone's house... And I say, what does baptism do? What is it? What's it for? And they're like, oh, it's an outward expression of my faith. And I'm like, no, where did you where'd you hear that? That's not in there. Yeah, Bible.
2: exactly.
3: Like, yeah. Like, I I preach the same thing every single week, twice a week, and then also at Bible study. It's the gospel. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism forgives you of your sins. The Lord's Supper forgives you of your sins. It's the body and blood. Like, every single sermon I nail, the small catechism, every single time. And it's just— yeah. it's it's incessant the amount of propaganda that the evangelicals pump out everywhere. And I, you know why I hate it, I think, um, and and I hate it more than I, than than most people hate Roman Catholic theology, because the the evangelicals are always talking about Roman Catholics, and they're always talking about Mariolatry, right? And they're talking about, uh, we we hate how unbiblical the Roman Catholics are. They believe, you know, Mary was immaculately conceived and that she was assumed into heaven. And yep. I'm like, okay, who cares, right? What Does that affect their understanding of the gospel? Like if, if they said something about merit and works righteousness, then this is one thing I can deal with. But they're never talking about that. They're always upset right. about icons. They're upset about Mary flying into the sky and whoever, who, who cares. Right? <laughs> but my problem is this, is that God has given us, promises in his sacrament that concretize and objectivize the gospel that he's given to us in Jesus Christ in the yeah. here and the now, which completely grants to us assurance of salvation. And there is a group of people who claim to believe the gospel, yet their every single waking moment is serving to rip those promises from the hearts of believers. And I, I just, it, if you say, what, what's your ax to grind? Seven days out of the week, that's my axe to grind. And there's pastors and people running around the streets trying to rip God's promise to sinners out of their hearts.
4: And as a lay person, I I see the same thing happening. And, you know, I'm not going to say you're acting like I'm a Lutheran pro because it's like I've only been part of this uh, confession seriously for a little over a year now. Um, But when I was going when I originally went to Bible school at Free Lutheran Bible College, I actually was not confessional Lutheran. I was a five-point Calvinist. I only went to I went to this college because I was um, wanting to do music there and everything. But uh, let's just say that my Calvinistic beliefs didn't last very long. <laughs> because when you start looking at the sacraments in Scripture and just being really upfront about it, and not, not just that, but also looking at church history, like what did the church confess before? Um, the Reformation and the Church Fathers, it's just undeniable that the sacraments, um, that God gives the forgiveness of sins through the sacraments. And the the beauty of that, and this is what I feel like the American Church is really missing out on when they don't hold to this confession, is the fact that we find assurance in the sacraments. God graciously gives us these things because it's our human nature to, it's, natural to us to doubt to constantly doubt like what if god doesn't actually forgive my sins and we can look back to these things like baptism and the lord's supper and be reminded that we are forgiven in christ he gives us physical things that we can touch we can taste we can drink um to remind us of that fact and that is a very beautiful thing um especially for a person like me who is actually who has struggled with
1: doubt
2: throughout his Christian walk. Yeah, it's <clears throat> kind of interesting you, you the uh, approach you both are taking because it, it like it fits perfectly with a post I put up the other day with Flame uh, at one of the previous conferences this year. He's preaching, and I got so many Baptists that were like DMing me or commenting on it, talking about how it. They don't agree with him. He's completely off. He doesn't under, I've even had people say he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's uneducated. I'm like, you people are ridiculous. But don't quote Luther. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll pay tribute to Luther a couple times a week on our posts, but we hate everything he stands for. Um, Yeah, I
3: think that's, that's a good thing though, for them to, to, to do that. Um, at least insofar as it's good for us, because it allows us to basically say, can you substantiate any of your, any of your confessional positions at all? Like, oh, it's, 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 That's why I said the other day in the DMs to you guys, it was like, converting Calvinists and Baptists is as easy as putting on a sock. Yeah. That's how you begin, right? You say, how do you know something's theologically true? And they say, well, it's in Scripture. I say, okay, let's let's see if you actually believe that. What do you believe about Baptism? Well, it's it, it expresses my faith. Okay, where's that in Scripture? Oh, it's not there. Okay, uh, what is in Scripture? Acts two thirty-eight. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. It washes away your sins, right? Titus three five through eight. It's the washing of regeneration, renewal, and rebirth in the Spirit. John uh, uh, three five, right? If you want to be uh, born again, enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born again by water and the Spirit. You go to First Peter three twenty-one. Baptism now saves you. What's it do? It saves you. What? Yeah. It saves you. It's like what do you believe about the lord's supper and they're like well the bread is like this teleportation wormhole by which i fly into the sky by faith to reach christ who is locked up there and cannot come down to me and i'm like uh okay and uh can you text and verse me on that and they're like um um and i'm like no you can't i know because i went to back to seminary for four years and it's not in there you know what is there eat my flesh drink my blood john six 50,
4: yeah. what is it, yeah.
3: 53, It's like, this checkmated, guys.
4: Yeah, here's another interesting fact, too. So I, for one of my baptism papers, I read a book called Baptized in the God's Family by Andrew Doss. He's a, a Wisconsin Senate guy. And he says that if we look at the Greek, uh, for the word for, when it says uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, The Greek word can also be translated into. So the Bible is essentially saying that we are being baptized into the forgiveness of our sins. I believe the Greek word is, I I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled E-I-S. I think it's like is or something. I don't know how to speak Greek, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But I found that to be very interesting. And when I read the book, I just respectfully was thinking to myself, how the heck do these people come up with the conclusion that this is just symbolic and there's no spiritual benefit to this at all?
3: Well, you know what uh, Dr. Luther would and did say, and this is, I guess uh, the listeners here will will get a sense for the difference between the um, the stance that, that uh, Master Pastor Alex has taken in his uh, <laughs> online ministry and mine, is that Luther said they're possessed by Satan and demons. Yeah. Um, I don't disagree with him. and I wrote this in one of my one of my papers before uh, at, when I was at the Institute of Lutheran Theology, doing my ordination requirements and stuff. Was when I was writing on the difference in the hermeneutical approach between the Reformed, that includes all Calvinists, but especially the Dutch Reformed Church Presbyterians, um, and Savoy Declarationists of old, is and the Lutherans is at almost every single turn. It's a habit of unbelief. Right? Baptism saves. No, it doesn't. Christ died for all. No, he didn't. Right? Your sins are forgiven. No, they're not. And I even I gave to a um to a, a dear brother in Christ, uh Cornelis Pronk, he's a um, Free Reformed Church. This is Dutch Reformed, very conservative Dutch Reform, his commentary on the canons of Dort. And I just, I, when I was, I, I, all I did was I just for nostalgia's sake, I opened it up and I highlighted a phrase because it was just the first phrase that popped out of it. And I still, it's burning in my memory. So dude was like, people will say on the topic of the gospel, is it not wrong to believe that my sins are forgiven because of Christ's life, death and resurrection and plead the blood because he didn't die for everybody. And the author was like, yeah, that is actually a problem. In fact, um, that's not the language of faith, to plead the blood, but it's the language of assurance and presumption, which Paul only had because he's a mature believer. But you should instead shake in your boots and um, plead for his mercy, not plead the blood. And I was like, this is this is literally just unbelief. And this is why so many of the Puritans on their deathbeds were, um, you know, I don't think I'm saved. Well, of course you don't think you're saved. You don't actually believe in any of these things being for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because that, that last phrase, Connor, the for you is like pinnacle for the Lutheran faith. And
1: yeah,
2: is, yeah. and so on my Christmas series that I'm doing, I've got three sermons, Christmas Eve night. And then uh, by the time this will air, I'll have one Sunday morning at 7 a.m., just Swedish traditional and then a nine thirty regular christmas day service and mm. we uh i'm not preaching really long at the 7 a.m it's like literally a five minute sermon um mm-hmm. just because it's too it's just early and people like <laughs> there's more nostalgia and of traditional you know like we uh sing in swedish songs and stuff like that but
3: as the, must
2: yeah exactly and so but the theme that i've been carrying throughout this time is is to look at the manger but through the eyes of the cross and so i've I've taken this approach a few times with you know seeing the manger with you know the eyes of the shepherds and the and the angels and the wise men and all these other folk all these other characters in the story but this year the emphasis is going to be this baby came to die for you
3: Yeah, and, and when you look at—and I was looking at this, too, when I was looking at what I was going to do for Christmas Eve, although it looks like it's going to be canceled because of the storm, mm. is—I um, I was looking at just verse 1 through 7 on that first uh, paragraph in our gospel pericope, mm-hmm. and I, I was noticing, if you look at what's happening in this story, it's suffering from beginning to end. Yeah. Like, this is— um a couple who they were either just married and everyone knows that she was pregnant before they were married or they're not married. And the text is a little ambiguous. there. And actually the Eastern Orthodox and Eastern Catholics don't believe that Mary and Joseph were ever married, but only mm. ever engaged. Okay. Of course they believe in Semper Virgo. That's also in the book yeah. of Concord, by the way, if you hate Semper Virgo it's, it's there. So deal with that. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Is that, um, so you have this, this couple who's being spurned and, and they're seen as this kind of, um promiscuous, you know, uh, I don't know what the term is, what what's it called? Well you get the idea, right? Is yeah. that this is the pregnancy before marriage, and then they're going, they're being uh, um, dragged in nine months pregnant, a four days' journey into Nazareth or into Bethlehem from Nazareth, and um on donkey or on foot and then she gives birth outside or in a barn there's no there's no hospital there's no doctors there's no family mm-hmm. and then she lays the baby in um, like a feeding trough essentially yeah. and it's like this this is this is horrible it's not a sanitized holiday it's not a clean holiday like if you want that you're looking at easter but yeah. the, like christmas is actually very similar to good friday much more than it is to Easter. It is, it's not, it's not the kind of happy, joyful thing that everyone has made it. It, It's happy and joyful, but it's in the midst, not, not even after on the other side, it's in the midst and by and through um, suffering unto death.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just a really, um, a great way to look at it. And sadly, I think it, outside of our circles it would be viewed as a radical approach to christmas because (laughs) the 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 protestant movement wants to hold especially like in the non-denominational they want to hold this big you know party this big rendition and you know and Mm -hmm. and like you said this is a this is kind of a sobering time this is a moment when we see our savior born into dirt and then Mm
1: -hmm. you
2: know and then he grows up poor and probably just you know with just enough to make it by goes and begins his ministry not taking anything in he's not making money you know he's not writing book deals and getting uh, instagram payouts he's you know eating off of the hands yeah. of those who are around him and you know i i'm curious jacob what are your thoughts just in general on that whole construct of christmas and
4: Um I'm actually learning a lot about about the whole thing, about um how many things we tend to get wrong. Um well Chad Bird actually made a really good video about it. Um, because you know there was a census that was being taken, and so each man was called to go back to uh the place of his uh, birth or family, you know. Yep. yep. And he Chad made the point um that Joseph actually could have taken his family into his house, and when the Bible says that there was no room in the inn, uh, that it meant, like, the rest of the house could have been taken. I I mean, these are all, we don't know for sure. We we have no idea. We weren't there. But um, Chad Bird made made the comment that it actually was common for Jewish homes to have, like, a manger in them. And so there's just so many, so many things that we get wrong. We have this idea of like them in the in the stable and the Magi being there when actually that's not true. He probably they probably arrived when Jesus was, two. Uh, we also don't know how many there were. We only know that there were three gifts. Like there's just a there's a whole lot of I I agree with Connor. There's a whole lot of things, um, that we tend to uh, get wrong, and uh, mm-hmm. one movie that I do like, um, is the nativity story. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. it. It does, you know, have a lot of tradition in it because they, uh, the whole thing happens in a, in a stable and, and all that instead of in a Jewish home. Like there's a lot of, and, and the Magi in the movie appear at the, at the manger, but one thing that they, that they, uh, capture in the movie that is just so uh, mind-boggling is the fact that like when Mary comes back and her pregnant stomach is showing the whole town just completely um ignores her like they avoid her at all costs they don't talk to her nothing um and when her and Joseph are leaving of course eventually the angel appears to him but when they're leaving like the whole town is just stern-faced they don't want anything to do with them That is probably one of the hardest things that, and that's just one thing that we don't ever talk about really is the pain and and suffering of that. I mean, Mary's own family. We don't know again because scripture. I don't think scripture really talks about it, but
3: Mary's own family disowned her. Yeah, very very safe safe to assume, assume. And, and like. With with these being the Christmas Eve texts, if you, I don't know if the Free Lutherans do do something different. I assume they do the same thing. But on um, Proper two for Christmas Day, the gospel reading is John one, and there in John yep. one, you have this promise that that kind of recurs and recycles throughout Christ's life is He came to those who were His own, and His own would not accept Him. Like from beginning to end, from the manger and the cradle to the grave he was completely rejected by those who should have accepted him like that that is what the, the son of man came to be rejected and, and so often we just uh, it's not we it's it's not we it's it's evangelicals who ignore this yeah. even the, the Catholics understand this perfectly fine the Orthodox understand this perfectly fine most Anglicans understand this perfectly fine but it's like the Baptists the, the Reformed so many of those kinds of Protestants don't understand this at all because they've lost touch with these 2,000-year-old corrigmas of what has been preached Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, it is the same message because that's what was re- received and passed down. So faith handed down once for all, and that faith is Christmas is dirty, messy work, and that's why you know Die Hard is really a Christmas movie.
2: I agree with it's,
3: that. It's, <laughs> Die Hard is like it's it's these people who are held captive by the evil supervillain, yeah. and then um, Bruce Willis comes to save with violence and ultimately smash the head of that supervillain and kill him and put him to death, liberating those who he was holding hostage. Like that's Christmas, right? That's that's what it is, and it's it's um it's it's this holiday of suffering and salvation and redemption, and and just all we have to do. This is my plea to whoever's listening. If you're a Lutheran, if you're a preacher, if you're whatever. For the love of all that's good and right in this world, please focus on the lectionary. Look at the text in the lectionary. The lectionary will guide you. The lectionary tells you You what this is about. The lectionary was put together by 2,000 years of the church grinding this out at the millstone.
2: Yeah. Yeah, stop stop with all the piffy series on 10 ways to, you know, be de-stressed during the holidays. No. Yeah, people
3: don't need your series.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Stop with that crap. (laughs) Preach Christ. (laughs) Yeah.
3: And even the lectionary even sorts out this whole thing with the Magi. Where are the Magi in the lectionary? Yeah. They're in
2: epiphany,
3: where they mm-hmm. should be. Exactly, right? like, when they show up, season. right, yeah.
2: Like yeah. Jacob said, when I was doing my Bible study, um, and I went through the, the portion in Luke 2, and then paired it over with Matthew 1 and 2, uh, I, made the, I made a very important stance. I'm like, okay, you know, just because this text is sitting right on top of each other doesn't mean it happened within the same few hours. You know, the the shepherds probably showed up that night that Jesus was born, maybe a few hours afterwards. That's a pretty pretty understandable thing. But the Magi, when they come in, it's got to be at least six months to two years, somewhere in that ballpark, that they finally show Mm -hmm. up. And then they're just gone. And then they go to Egypt, and then they're there for an undisclosed amount of time. And then they come back, and then the next thing we see is Jesus at the age of 12 uh, in the temple and Jerusalem, and then after that, he begins his ministry. Like, that's all we get.
3: Yeah. So but That's first, a lot to get. Michael. Yeah, yeah. And it's a beautiful thing to to fold this out over the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and not have to, it, it's not that I say I have to, and not have to, kind of like it's an easier option, but it's so such a better option. Rather than trying to just unfold series after series, or even preach Lectio Continua, and most likely end up butchering the texts and doing horrible pericope sections, <laughs> yeah. is you know, using what's tried and true. And yep. um, again, going with that 2,000-year-old kerygma, uh, echoing back the message um, that was handed down to us. And if we don't have that, that kind of sense of connectivity with the ancient church, um, recurring and repeating and repeating, then what are we doing? Are we trying to invent something? Is um, church and ministry become an art?
2: new it's a whole new gospel that we're going after yeah
4: i think i think another really unfortunate thing that evangelicals tend to um tend to hold to is they just don't pay any respect whatsoever to to mary and what what she did like this is one thing i have seen a lot um i'm not arguing like obviously we should not pray to her or, or anything that the that like the catholics do but right. i mean the i've seen a lot of uh, people who are calvinist reform and say mary means nothing to me and <laughs> i just find that to be so unfortunate because i'm like the savior of the world was born of her womb i think she's kind of a big deal and also just because we don't pray to her does not mean that we, we cannot pay respect and just And Mm -hmm. uh, recognize that she was favored. A, she was favored by God, but B, like this was a big thing for her to carry. I mean, a young girl probably in her teens was completely—I mean, talk about absolute life change. And and also too, I will say, this is a yeah, this is a uh, this is going to be kind of a big statement, but to argue that Mary is not the mother of God at all is. Falls in line with the Nestorian heresy because a lot of times the argument is no, she's only the mother of Jesus's human nature, which is driving like this huge wedge between the two natures, which is exactly what Nestorianism
2: does.
3: Yeah, that's a black and white heresy.
2: Yeah, and yet that's and, and that's something that a lot of the Protestants adhere to. I mean, I bet you if you were to go and ask a general consensus. I might even put the poll up tonight after we we finish this and just get just oh, get man. perspective. Because I I just don't frankly care, but you know, it's uh do you think Mary gave birth to to God the Son? Now, if you if you if you want to separate the triune godhead and and, and focus on Mary giving birth to God the Son, that's still she's giving birth to God in you know, it, yeah, it's like right there. You can't get around it. And if you it's try right to separate there. the essences, the you know, if you try to separate his, you know, uh, humanity from his deity, you're you're committing heresy.
3: Well, would we all agree um, that denying any part of the ecumenical creeds is a heresy?
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Well, let me do another one. Baptism Ooh. is for the forgiveness of sins.
2: well <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll that'll Whoa. get the Protestants moving
3: here's here's
2: another
4: thing um okay i and i think i can see where the baptists and stuff get this whole idea of nestorianism because when jesus talks about the last days he makes this comment that only god the father knows when that is going to be so a lot of times people speculate and say well jesus and his divine nature knows when that is but his human nature doesn't and to me i think that's trying to logically explain something that is definitely a mystery in scripture like i where i don't Mm -hmm. think god is i do not think that god is obligated to explain these these things to us but the thing is is um many times i think in scripture jesus expressed his um i what is the word omnipotence is that is that or am i am i thinking of omniscience i for some reason my brain is not connecting you the thing a well-knowingness, yeah.
3: Omniscience, yeah. Omniscience, okay. Which the countless that they have,
4: yeah. <laughs> Multiple times, <laughs> Jesus in human form, in human form, knew the thoughts of of yeah. people. Like when on um, the uh, uh, adulterous woman came into um, the building when Jesus was having uh, having a meal with the Pharisees, like. She's pouring mm-hmm. ointment on him, and he speaks what the Pharisee is thinking. And so, to argue that, oh, well, Jesus in his human nature didn't know this, and Jesus in his divine, I, we can't, we cannot draw those conclusions. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I don't think God is obligated to reveal this mystery to us, of why Jesus would say only God the Father knows, and it, we're just not obligated well, to have that information.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's a really simple thing if you think about it. Is Again, I mean, just as earlier said, where does truth come? It comes from the Word of God. Um, the Word of God says, you know, no one knows, the Son doesn't know, but only the Father. And then they're like, therefore, uh, Jesus and his humanity um, is not God. And it's like, well, who said that? they you're like, well, no one said that, but yeah, I think it. And it's like, that's nice what you think. You do a lot of thinking. But no one said that. God didn't say that. I didn't say that. You said that. You said that because you thought it. And that's where all of this comes. It all stems from Zwingli looking at the Eucharist and saying, no, 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 it can't be what he said it was, because the finite cannot contain the infinite, which is a, a, it's, it's a literal denial of Colossians, which says, in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's the fullness of the infinite dwells in the finite, it's obvious. Yeah. I mean, we can do all the thinking we want, and thinking's gonna end us up in, you know, in hell every time.
2: Exactly. Well, and I think it's receiving,
3: always uh, receiving, receiving, passive, yeah. active passivity. That's what you want.
2: Yeah, I think it's always funny when you get into these conversations around the Eucharist and the the whole the whole attack is whether Christ is physically present, and and I've heard some Calvinists will be like, well, he's spiritually present. I'm like, okay, so he's really present still. It's like, you, you want to argue yeah. either apples and oranges here, but then they'll deny that, though, that Christ is not, you know, if you go to the, some of the more, uh, like, IFBs and, and certain classes of Baptists and that, they will flat out deny anything within the Eucharist. It doesn't do anything. It's just something even, that we do as a memory. Yeah, but, but, then,
3: but even there, right, like, even if you were to say it's spiritually present, like where did they come up with that idea exactly about is jesus saying this is my flesh this is my blood sorry flesh can't be spiritually present anywhere
2: right it's flesh it's exactly it yeah and then if you open
3: up most of the dogmatics they're like by spiritually present we mean christ is present by the holy spirit and i'm like hello is the son the holy spirit and they're like no i'm like so you're saying the son is present and that a different person of the trinity is present Like that's like if someone said to my wife, is Pastor Connor here? And she's like, I'm here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's like that's almost that's that's almost on the verge of modalism Mm -hmm. right there. (laughs) Yeah, so they're modalists
3: and historians all at the
4: same time.
2: Exactly. That's
4: why I agree with Flame. Flame did a video where he he talked about transubstantiation versus consubstantiation. And he said both of these views tend to want to explain something that once again is a mystery yeah. um because yeah. yeah the catholics would say well surely it changes form well right. like it's it changes the literal form when the priest you know says whatever words and it's like well we don't really see that in scripture but then we don't see this idea that it's just spiritual uh presence at the same time like is means is and again i mean how many bible verses talk about us you know just trusting in God, like the I think it's the Psalms. It says, "Be still and know that I am God." You know, if God is the creator of all things, then God does not need to fit into whatever logical conclusions we come up with. You yeah. know, because and especially because I think as of right now, it's being in the in the physical world. Like the things that we see around us, like they have to follow you know, certain laws, you know, laws of physics, laws of this and the other, but God is the creator of all of this. And Mm -hmm. so God is not bound by what he has
2: created. Right. Because if you're going to, if you're going to deny that, then you have to deny post-resurrection when Jesus magically appears in the room with the apostles when the door was locked and closed. Did he climb through a window? Did he come through the roof? No, Jesus was there in the flesh. So you're going to accept that. You also accept the The end of times when Christ will shatter the skies open and return and send his angels out to gather the elect, but you will deny him being present in the bread and wine. Just just whack.
3: What might uh, drive someone to do that? Uh, you know, I think accept what, all these miraculous supernatural things when they don't actually affect our faith.
2: That's exactly it. And when yeah. they do, they deny it. What
3: might what might motivate that?
2: I, I think I think it comes from like when I was a Calvinist and, and and I'm just speaking for myself and some of the people that I was friends with. Um my my whole bit was like I wanted the grasp of my faith. Like I wanted mm. I wanted to be the one who filled up my faith bucket and carried it with me. I wanted to it was me, me, me. And you know, and I got to hand it to pastor Krogan, Dr. Krogan, you know, our, our instructor. When I, when I started seminary years back, he leaned into me like a bulldozer. I mean, and he just (laughs) dismantled every single Calvinist argument that I had just, I mean, just would just go hard after me. And he, and he tore me out of that camp. I mean, I, by the time I left the Reformation class, which was our, our first class we have to take through seminary, I was like, yeah, I'm not a Calvinist anymore. I wasn't quite convinced of being a Lutheran yet, but I certainly wasn't a Calvinist anymore. And by the time I went through the confessions class, I'm like, okay, I'm a confessional Lutheran, that's it. It's just, there's nothing else I could do with it. I accept everything the Book of Concord says, and yeah. that's that's just the way it's going to go. Yeah. But I do think it is, and, and Jacob you know, too, uh, and you can probably speak from your experience, but I think a lot of it is when it comes to the elements of faith, the the ref- the, the Protestant movement wants to feel like they're contributing. It's the whole, you know, Jahard Ferdy with the ladder. They want to be climbing that ladder because they want to see themselves making progress. They want to see themselves being better.
4: Yeah, that's precisely what I was talking to Chad Bird mm. about um and yeah for for me i think well i had i had many many turning points but honestly the thing that brought me the first step to me becoming a lutheran was the comfort that i received in the gospel that i was receiving at school um because beforehand i was listening to a lot of odie bacham a lot of paul washer and stuff like that because i was a i was a calvinist and i was Seeing um, sanctification as this thing of I, I, gauging my s- sanctification based upon uh, moralism, so I'm better than y- you know yesterday or last week in certain areas of my of my life, and so that must mean I'm going up this, this way. And I constantly seeing um, seeing that as what sanctification was. I was putting a lot of my assurance in my in my works because I did not have. I didn't believe things like baptism, uh, baptism being, um, you know, regenerative or you know the Lord's Supper or anything like that, and it started to really lead me to a lot of despair. I think a ton of worry, and also to the whole thing with election. Like you're only believing that Jesus is that he only died for this certain amount of people. And one thing that my professor stated, he said, even if the Bible said that Jesus died for everybody except for one person. We have no idea who that person is, uh, you know, past, present, whatever. The Bible doesn't reveal it to us. He said, me, out of my sinful nature, I'm always going to find a way to worry that I'm that one person. And so imagine, you know, what it's like for somebody believing that there's a whole vast majority of people that aren't actually chosen. You know, that Christ only died for this certain amount of people. And so what ends up happening is I have to prove to myself that I'm elect, that mm-hmm. I'm truly one of God's. And so I, God's elect. And so I, you know, am I reading my Bible every single day? How well am I doing in in purity, you know, things? Um, am I loving my, my neighbor? Am I doing things at, at my church? Like do, 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 do. And you're finding so much assurance in the things that you are are doing instead of what God has done for you.
2: Yeah. And I, I, and I, Connor could probably speak to this too. I, one of the things I find is being a pastor. It's not about doing all of the, the, the work per se. And I use that in air quotes, like, you know, I'm not going into the community and cleaning up the ditches with trash and, or I'm helping this, that, and the other it's, it's just being with people you know, it's, it's going to visit people. It's, it's bringing communion to them. It's, it's participating in their lives. That's the greatest work we can give to people as, as you know, as ministry leaders is to participate with somebody in their life. And, you know, you, you brought up some points, uh, Jacob, and I was, <laughs> I had a, a lady who got angry with me and unfollowed me and then blocked me, um, <laughs> uh, because she was upset over the flame video that uh christ died for everybody and i'm like i'm like you know so i was i was very nice about the first interaction i was very nice and i said well you know lutherans believe that uh we don't believe in universal atonement we believe that christ's death was sufficient to cover all the sins of all man however only those who believe are saved i mean that's as as simple as we can boil it down those who believe we'll be saved those they're the elect you know they're the ones that God has given faith to it's not anything that they've done etc cetera, etc cetera. we can fill in all the, you know, the the other pieces later but at its core simplest Christ died and his death was sufficient for all man because how could you have a gospel that is good news for the world but not everybody in the world can take it you know it, and and then you have to you have to decipher who's going to get it are you going to divvy it up and Oh, the Russians aren't going to get it this year. Maybe the next generation can have it up this year. It's not going to be the, the Iranians or or nobody in Europe can have the gospel for, for a century. You know, I mean, how do you divvy that up? No, the gospel is good news for the world. And, and so I was very, very polite about it. And I don't know what, what sparked her, but she replied right after She's like, well, I just can't believe that. So I'm unfollowing. And so I reply, I said, Well, this isn't an airport. You don't have to announce your departure.
4: I saw that. That was (laughs) really funny. Um, She she blocked me straight away. Here's another thing to put things into perspective. The Ten Commandments say, do not bear false testimony. Yeah. It says, don't lie. And so if you go preach the gospel to somebody, and let's say Jesus did only die for the elect you essentially have a 50 50 chance of telling the truth to that person or lying straight to their face. So you have a, like, if we're going to think about this logically, you have a 50 percent chance. It's a hundred percent yeah. chance.
3: That's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and it, it for, also says do not steal. And yet they're stealing the gospel from people. It also says do not kill. And yet they're killing them spiritually.
2: Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think they've, I think they've broken about every commandment in the second table there. <laughs>
3: they have you know i'm i'm not one who who tends to be nice about this but but i think that's because i, I work in pastoral ministry like i personally don't have maybe this is this is going to sound bad it's going to sound awful i know it, and it is awful i don't have assurance problems at all like oh. i i could be the best most prideful calvinist in the world i could i was <laughs> but what happened to me was i was working i was working in reformed internships Right. And it was when I would get into the pulpit and have to preach the gospel to people. And I just could not I could not give them this kind of the gospel might be for you or that Jesus died for sinners. I don't know who those sinners are, though. It, like it, it, for me, this thing always needed to come back down to Jesus Christ died for you. And not only that, and this is where I, you know, I mean, I disagree with our professors in many areas. as you mm-hmm. so I lean very misery. OK, this mm-hmm. is my misery showing that death actually did something right is that 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 death is not the gospel is not a good opportunity it's not a hypothetical possibility it's good news and the object of your faith as franz Pieper says as cfw Walther says is your justification and that's why if you go i mean obviously you're not going to but if you were something possessed you to get on a plane and fly to cornwall um first of all i'd have to commend you on um, your trip, but (laughs) then you would see the sign outside of my church, and the only thing it says year-round is, you are forgiven. And the Mm. only church in Cornwall, in in all of East Ontario, that you can find with a sign like that is a Lutheran church. Yeah. Right, because we, we are the ones who are proclaiming that that death actually gave you does the forgiveness of sins to you and that's what we proclaim we proclaim finished work and good news of what already is and that's the proclamation of the forgiveness of your sins through the life death and resurrection of jesus christ which has already happened
2: exactly Mm yeah so jacob uh we got rants upon rants what do you got for us tonight it's your turn
4: my turn um to, to pick a topic to rant about
2: yeah or we could keep ranting about just the blatant abuse of the scripture by the Protestants.
4: Um, I I would say one of the biggest things that I'm seeing that's a problem specifically outside the the Lutheran Church is this um the lack of law and gospel teaching. Mm. Um, one thing one thing that my friend one time tried to say. Uh, to me, because he was, he's like a big Paul Washer fan, and and don't get me wrong, I still love this guy, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash anybody, but he talked about this experience where Paul Washer, you know, he, he tried to say that, you know, we could just preach law, we don't always have to preach the gospel, and I, I think that there, there is, personally, I think that there is necessary times to really, um, if you, if you need to, specifically with a, with with a specific person that's just really uh, hardened in their sin, like yes, I think that there is some room to carp more on the law. But Paul Washer had this, uh, did this thing uh, where he preached somewhere. I think it was for like three days or something, where he just preached law and judgment. And he said, and I had one person come up to me and ask how I could be saved. And Paul Washer then gave him the gospel and so he tried to make this argument and saying see we don't we don't have to always preach the gospel and mm. stuff like that and my thought was okay one person came up to him how many other ones just left with absolute darkness and despair you know yep. if you would have just preached the gospel mm-hmm. to to the whole entire crowd and, and the law you could have had more than just one person approaching you yeah that one person who was shaking at the knees <laughs> um in absolute fear while the rest of them could have just been like you know what if this is the way that god isn't i don't want anything to do with him and well you know the
1: the scary thing though
4: yeah go on go on oh i was was just gonna say you can't make this whole entire argument just because one individual came came up like sure i'm glad Mm. that he heard the gospel but I feel terrible for all the other people that left.
3: Well, my, yeah, my question is also, did he hear the gospel? Because I know there's another recording where Paul Washer talks about doing this to a different crowd. And there was a girl who came up to him and asked him, how can I be saved? And he gloats about telling her, I'm not going to basically tell you how to be saved. You're going to go and pray and weep until you realize you're saved. And he was saying this, like it was the greatest thing. So I, I'm not really convinced that he did tell people the gospel. But I was just going to say, like, one thing I find just terrifying about this whole thing and sad about this whole thing is a Christian pastor is supposed to walk into a room of people who do not believe that they're saved and convince them that they're saved, right? To Mm. preach to them that they're saved. Whereas we have so many pastors who walk into a a room of people who believe they're saved and he purposely will try and convince them that they're not
2: yeah that's uh that's that's spot on and you know the other thing that really frustrates me with like some of these mainstream preachers is when they if they ever do give a gospel and it's ever presented, it's repent and believe. Well, what does that mean you know the, you 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 also uh, truncated the text that says be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins (laughs) you're just focusing on repent and believe and then and then what you're doing is you're actually creating even more error by only focusing on that and not actually understanding the the scope of which peter was talking about if we're using acts 238 39 as a referencing point Mm -hmm. that repenting and believing come post-baptism which is where you are justified in and Mm -hmm. I it just it it floors me when when all I see all the time is uh, repent and believe repent and believe the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? What am I repenting from? Okay, yes, yeah. Believe what? I need the I need the law obviously to bring me to my to my knees so I can recognize my sin, but I need the good news, and then I need to be told how to how that would be given to me. You know, through the sacraments, the means of grace. Like, why are we as a church in the West so against christ giving us free stuff it's like you got promised resurrected body you got forgiveness of sins you got eternal life you got a, a sinless eternity i don't know what else you can give you've got a mansion in heaven prepared for you you've got riches stored for you up in heaven it's like what in the world are we doing as a church when we don't put emphasis on on the the glory and greatness that christ is freely giving to us and i and i Reserve all of that to focusing on the sacraments and the preaching to like you said, Connor, to convince people that they're that they have been forgiven. That's yeah. that's that's the crux to it. Ugh, ranting, I can you know, it's I, I get I get people that send me DMs all the time and they always want to. Um, there's There's always two types that I've come across within the Protestant movement. There's the there's the one have a deep respect for and they they are genuinely interested in understanding they're genuinely willing to have a discussion and willing to learn and 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 then we can decide where we where we land with our differences and then there's the other that appears to be genuine you know they ask a question or two they they are intrigued and then they just go off the deep end and start attacking and I've had to restrict quite a few people in the last few months just because I'm not going to tolerate and deal with that in my DMs. I have better things to do with my life. I have family, I have a church ministry. You know, I've got school to finish. I've got all these things that are way more important than arguing with some person on social media. But that seems to be where like a lot of these gung ho Calvinists reside anymore. Yeah.
3: It's
2: true, and I'm probably going to get some hate mail for this one, but I don't really care you if you if you haven't if you haven't heard my episodes by now and realize that I'm a full-fledged confessional Lutheran and being a full-fledged confessional Lutheran separates me from the reform camps and 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 doesn't make me like them, then you you should probably go back and listen to some older shows, yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, and for anyone who's curious about that, all they need to do is open up the Augsburg Confession and look at Article Seven.
2: Yep. Yep, that's it right there. Unity
3: of the church consists in the agreement on the gospel and the sacraments, and if you do not have that, according to the Augsburg Confession, you're in the no-no zone. Yeah. Right? And yep. so, I mean, we would plead with all of you to leave the no-no zone yes. and come to the assurance zone, but we're not yep. going to force you to.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like it's like you said, I. As a pastor, I have the greatest assurance in the world. I'll tell you what I'm the furthest thing from a perfect person. I, I sin on the regular. I have problems that i I know I need to work on to be a better person. I know that mm-hmm. that you know my morality, I have things that trouble me. and but but I know that even when I stumble and fall, when I backslide, when I fall into a rut of sin, I'm still saved. Because all of my sin has been forgiven, but that doesn't give me the, the the freedom to just go sin freely. It absolutely doesn't. You know, there there is that fine line of like walking this you know the tightrope, if you would. But if you fall over, you're only falling like half an inch because Christ is going to pick you back up, put you back on, and you're just going <laughs> to yeah. keep walking forward.
3: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, it's it's like we don't have the freedom. It's it's how would I say? It? We are not to sin freely, but because of Christ, we can sin boldly. Yes. And the assurance that our sins are already defeated and, and that as we come to especially in the epistles you get all these things that uh, you could say they're third use text depending on how you understand the law or you could say that they are kind of like moral influence theory texts which speak about walking in the light yeah. and taking off the those works of darkness and living in uh, works of light and love and mercy and goodness and actually embodying that gospel and unconditional love and unconditional initiative forgiveness and grace to other people. Yeah. Can I ask know, Jacob a question? Yeah, go for it. Oh, did I? I, no. I don't want to cut you off. No, nope,
2: you're good. Go for it.
3: Jacob, do you attend an AFLC congregation?
4: Uh, no, there, I, I love a lot of people in the AFLC, but I um, tend to line up more with uh, Missouri Standard or, or AALC, which is what my church is back at home. When I'm at okay. school, I do attend an AFLC church, but when I'm here, um, I, I go to an AALC. I, I love, don't get me wrong, I love a lot of them. And I think there is definitely a section of the AFLC that is very confessional. The problem is, is that there is a lot of roots in pietism which that's what i'm I, trying
3: to get you to rant about
4: <laughs> which um i don't i do not want to completely throw out every aspect of what came out of the pietist movement because jordan cooper did a really good video on it um
1: yeah,
4: things like at home bible studies personal devotions and stuff like that have been were really emphasis or emphasized by the pietist movement and i think those are great things uh problem with it is it quickly turned into uh, oh, you're a Christian. Yes, you're you believe in Jesus, but uh, you went to the bar Tuesday night and
2: how dare you? Know, you. How and dare Wednesday you? You can and go Thursday to hell. Night.
4: Yeah. And stuff like that. I, Not a fan.
3: Not Could I get you to rant as an AALC man, a Missouri affiliated man in the ILC, the International Lutheran Communion, or whatever that stands for. How do you, can you rant a little bit about like, I don't know what your, what the liturgics are at your home parish in the ALC, but I know that most AFLC congregations don't really practice liturgical worship or vestments or, can you speak to me about that?
4: Yeah, so my roommates and I, I have a lot of very, very strong opinions about that. So my roommate comes from a church in Pennsylvania, which is Ruth Fred, and they are actually the one AFLC church that's very liturgical. You would think that they are an LCMS church. Um, and, and yeah, both of us agree that there is so much beauty in liturgy. Um, I think that there's this huge misconception when people say, oh, the super liturgical and traditional churches are just catering to the old people. No, they are just doing what the church did for, for many years in ancient, like ancient times, uh, all the way up to Reformation and and stuff like. This is not catering to a certain group of people. It's just doing what the church has done for many thousands of years, for the purpose of you know bringing assurance and stuff like and things like that. Um, the, the thing with the AFLC is I believe one of the reasons why they tend to shy away from wearing white robes and having really um, drawn out litur- liturgy is because in m- the Midwest area, there is a lot of ELCA churches and uh, the ELCA church still will, uh, most of the times um, will have Congregations where uh, it is practiced to have like white robes and stuff like that. I don't know why I stumbled on my words so much in that sentence, but yes, a lot of ELCA pastors wear white white robes and have a lot of liturgy. And the AFLC wanted to separate themselves from that. But my question is, why are we why are we letting them just have liturgy? You know, we should. That's one of the
3: best things about the ELCA. They're fantastic yeah. yeah. and, and actually, that's the same thing in Canada, too, is a lot of the Missouri congregations here, whether they're LCMS English District or Lutheran Church Canada, which is Missouri, Canada, um, they merely wear the alb and the stole, usually. There's not many Missouri pastors in Canada or the states, except them if you go to, like, the Godestines crowd, Fort Wayne types, um, in chasubles in the full Eucharistic traditional Western Catholic vestments. And um, the, you w- in every single almost ELCIC, ELCA congregation, full chastable, full liturgy, no jokes, dead serious, beautifully done. Um, and I find it's one of its most redeemable qualities. Uh, there are several redeemable qualities. I don't actually hate the ELCA as most, as much as most people do. Um, aside from, you know, like the whole, like, um, you know, I won't mention what it is. Um, <laughs> but, but um, the yeah you go in there and if we're talking about like what is divine service well it is ultimately like this encounter with that ancient 2000 year old kerygma this confession of faith done through the liturgy the voice of the scripture moving the enculturation of the people into the word of god and that's done so beautifully and how they can do that and then also go and do gay sex i don't know how it fits together <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah it,
2: it's you know for for me you know, I came I came out of the Calvinist circle, so everything was, you know, suit and tie. And so if you look at some of my older sermons, even here in Stratford, I had a yeah. suit and tie on. And I don't know what it was that just, I, maybe it was just talking to you, Connor, like early last year or something. And I just, you know, kind of was like, I need to get a robe. And I was like, okay, I'll start wearing a robe on, you know, uh, in a, in a stole on the Sundays that I do communion. And then I'll wear a suit and tie the, the other couple Sundays. And then it was like, it just, it, I, I don't know. It was like over the summer or something, it just bled into, I wore it every day. And now I wear yeah. it every Sunday. And now I'm actually considering going into next year, looking at more of the full vestment, you know, attire for the mm-hmm. church, even though we're not, I wouldn't consider ourselves a high church. We're, We're a liturgical worshiping church. We have a liturgy every week that we follow and it walks us through the absolution and confession it walks us through you know the 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 hymns and the and the readings of the day the sermon the apostles creed or Nicene, depending on the day and the lord's prayer the the, the prayers of the church the benediction all of that such it, it works through all of it you know and we're, we're not uh we're not as in depth i think as like an ELCA that has a like a 8 page bulletin printed every week for them right like, that's, I still love those worship structures, but they print everything in there. We don't print everything. We just, mm-hmm. you know, we don't print the lyrics to the music, nor do we print the readings. They're like, ah, just open your hymn. <laughs> so you have to make the people uh, do a little work. Yeah. The pews.
3: We do the same at in We're just a, an LBW Green Book Church.
2: Yeah, Yep. We, yep.
3: Yeah, I, I I find it's one of the saddest things because people are they're running around like, oh, ooh, I'm confessional, and I'm like, have you read Apology of the Oxford Confession, twenty four, verse one? Mm-hmm. We retain the vestments. Where are they? But but I also think it's 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 such a beautiful thing um, that people forget is is not something you have to already have.
2: But yeah. It's
3: something that is yours to reclaim. Like people are like, oh, we're not going to do that because we're a low church, and it's like. Well, well, you you weren't historically, so like, yeah, you don't have to be next week. Like, yeah. it's not Sunday yet, it. yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> Change <laughs> yeah, it. It's, like, not, it's think, not
2: the end of the world. Is, yeah,
3: exactly. Like, this is yours. This is your heritage. As a, in fact, actually, as a Christian, not just as a as a Lutheran. If you claim to even resemble the early church, this is yours, right? Yeah. you can do this yep. this Sunday. And if your congregation is not willing to do it, you are free to go to one that will. Right, like you have this at your fingertips. This is your gift given to you by the apostolic tradition. Do you want it? Do you you want to engage in it and put it on and try it out and live in it?
2: So, (laughs) we're we're breaking the rules this week at our church, and I figured Connor, you'd be a great one to to throw this at. Um, So we, you know, the the colors change on the liturgical calendar to white on Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. and I was like yeah, let's keep it blue this year, cause <laughs> I think our blue vestments are just so much more beautiful <laughs> yeah. than, than the white get to is use them often. yeah, and I, yeah, you get to use them like a couple of weeks out of the year. and I love my blue stole, and so I'm like, let's just keep it blue for for Saturday night, and then I'll help change the altar and and the pulpit and all that, and we'll go to white for Sunday morning. And uh, my altar guild was like, okay, that works. You're the boss. <laughs> Well,
3: you know, the uh, actually like traditionally blue wasn't even used. Like sarum blue is a, is a completely new ish thing. Yeah. It's an innovation in Lutheran and Anglican parishes. And before that, and even like if you go to trad parishes, which um, otherwise I guess would be mine, but this is one of the innovations we kept, is using blue. But traditionally, we use purple.
2: Purple, yeah. Uh, and
3: blue actually was used for Marian feasts, which mm. I do think we should be doing, uh, not for the invocation of saints, but as. Jacob was saying to just not only understand how great of a saint she is, and also the Book of Concord says we are to commemorate the saints for the sake of understanding um, the glorious work that Christ has done in their lives, in the Church, and so on, and to use them as great examples of holiness and faithfulness, but also because Mary is a type of the Church, and so in every way of what she is, we also shall be. I mean, you look at it, she is the, the Ark of the New Covenant, the one in whom... Um, God dwelled first, well are we not that now, partaking of his flesh and blood, he dwells in us and we in him, this is just Galatians 2.20 stuff, Uh, even if you wanted to affirm, you know, um, immaculate, uh, whatever the immaculacy, whether it's at her birth or at uh, Jesus' conception within her as Luther held to, um, we also will become immaculate in glorification. So no matter how you split it, um, all of these super things that, that seem like super high Mariologies, even the assumption into heaven, like, I hate to break it to you guys, but uh, we're all also going to be assumed into heaven at one time or another. Like, and, and no matter how high your Mariology gets, yeah, um, we are going to also attain that glory in and through Christ by grace. So I think it's a great thing to to meditate upon as, as Mary as our chief saint. Um, yeah. As um as mother of of God, but also as the as the bride, if you will.
2: Yeah. I wish I had uh hosted this call this time last week because last Sunday I preached a sermon dedicated to Mary. So
3: On the Magnificat?
2: Yeah, yeah. Man the so, yeah,
3: Magnificat is based.
2: Yeah, and I thought it was I mean, it was okay. I, I, I you know, I could have probably obviously done better, but it's the first time I've really ever preached on her. So <laughs> I, you know, next year I, I'm going to reserve that like one Sunday out of Advent, which will be the su- yeah. generally the Sunday before Christmas. I'm going to preach on, on Mary and, and because she, she deserves that recognition. It, I'm not sitting here praying to her. I'm not worshiping her in any structure, but she, she certainly has done a lot for the church in terms of birthing <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, but. Well, gents, we're over an hour. Um, I, in times past, we would do two or more, but uh, Christmas is approaching rapidly, and I still have work left to do in preparation for the weekend. So I'm going to turn it over. Jacob, closing arguments, thoughts, complaints, and no concerns.
4: Just be Lutheran. It's <laughs> as easy as <laughs> it can I be. Desire. It's just just be Lutheran. Um You know, be actually Sola Scriptura, that's what I would say. That's what I realized when I became a Lutheran. I sat there and just went, wow, I actually believe in Sola Scriptura.
3: What do you know?
2: Yeah. Amen. Connor?
3: Yeah, you know, I would just, I would uh, encourage everybody who's listening to end this on a a note of contemplation, whether you are actively a Lutheran at the moment or are not. um, These things are probably what you already claim to believe. If you say you believe the scriptures, well, the scriptures proclaim that baptism saves, that Christ died for all, that apostasy is real, and that we are at battle um, with Satan and evil and the demonic forces that rule this world, and that you are... Uh, given safety from that deliverance, from that freedom, from that salvation, from that in, uh, through, and by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ delivered to you in word and sacrament. All three sacraments, by the way, uh, baptism, confession, and absolution. At the end of John 20, receive the Holy Spirit. Whatever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whatever sins you do not forgive, they're not forgiven. Um, The Lord's Supper, clear enough in John 6 and in the words of institution and in 1 Corinthians 11, Um, and that, you know, um, if you claim to believe in the, the creeds, the Nicene Creed, this is uh, Nicene Creed, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If you claim to be descended from the ancient church, well, there you go, too. It's universal. Yeah. Um. So if you claim to be um, from the early church, if you claim to believe in the Word of God, if you claim to need salvation, it is there for you. You just have to claim it um, and uh, live in it and under it, and it's it's really not such a horrible thing to do. The only... A thing you, I guess, have to do, and which kind of sucks in doing it, is dying to yourself and your opinions and your use of logic, um, and um, basically turning yourself into a receptacle of grace. But is that really such a bad thing? I would say no. So whether you're a Lutheran or not, um, dig into this and enjoy it, and enjoy your forgiveness and receive it and believe it and confess it it outwardly to the world.
2: Amen to that. And that that to me took me two years to just completely trash all of my self. Thinking and self righteousness and self logical explanation. Oh, you know, and it's just—it's exactly that. Just be that. Re- I, I forgot how Krogan said. He's like, you just basically want to get into the bathtub and just soak. Let it soak into you. Let it just wash over you. Hear the word constantly being preached to you because that's what it's for. It's for you. Yeah. That's the whole premise of the Lutheran faith for you. Each individual person is given the sacraments. We don't come up and do a community sacraments where, you know, only certain people get certain things. It's each individual person. When I hand them the bread, I say, this is the bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. That's the that's the beauty of Scripture and a liturgical worship. So. Gentlemen, I wanna thank you for uh, such a short notice uh, getting this uh, put together. And 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 I know, I think Jacob, we robbed you from your reformed party that you're gonna go and crash and make a bunch of Lutherans at, so we apologize for that. But uh, we will uh, certainly touch base on the social medias and uh, I will have this episode dropped New Year's Day. So happy New Year's to everybody. And I hope you all had a blessed Merry Christmas where Christ was proclaimed and uh, not just a sermon preached, but a sermon preached to you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next week on A Dine line.